Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1367. Today we're talking racing, F1 racing, and the new book F1 Mavericks, the men and machines that revolutionized Formula One racing. There's one awful truth in life. Everybody has his reasons. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hey Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from Detroit, Michigan, George Levy. Remember his name because it rhymes with Chevy. And there's a reason this guy's name rhymes with Chevy because he loves cars. George, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. All right. George Levy is a native of Boston and he's an author and former editor of Auto Week magazine and a director of the Motorsport Hall of Fame of America. He is also the author of multiple books on motorsports, including 2016's Can-Am 50th Anniversary, of which we talked about when he was on this show at that time, a project in which he worked with the late, great, and deeply missed photographer Pete Biro, who is also a Cars Yeah! past guest. We do miss him quite a bit. The great racer Sam Posey said about this book, your book is just fantastic. As far as I know, you've got the facts exactly right, which must have been the product of a lot of hard work and good thinking. That is quite an endorsement from the great racer, Sam Posey. His current book, though, is F1 Mavericks, The Men and the Machines That Revolutionized Formula One Racing, is a sweeping account of the most innovative and glamorous period in Formula One racing history, 1958 through 1982. The forward is by Mario Andretti, and the afterward is by the late Nicky Lauda. So, George, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment before we jump into my questions and share a little bit more about your amazing career and your very obvious passion for motorsports? Well, in my business right now, uh, as you mentioned, uh, is the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America and uh, writing books about the history of motorsports. I'm one of the directors of the Hall of Fame, and it's a great organization. If your listeners don't know about it, it's Racing's Cooperstown. And I hope that they all will get involved and learn more about the Hall of Fame at MSHF.com. It is the pinnacle of Motorsports Hall of Fame. And when I say that, I mean no disrespect to other Halls of Fame, but 
we honor all of motorsports. So every year there's one inductee in the stock cars category, one inductee in the motorcycles category and so on. Even though the NASCAR Hall of Fame has only been around for about 10 years, there are already many more uh, stock car legends in the NASCAR Hall of Fame than are in, in our Hall of Fame after 30 some odd uh, years. So it's kind of the best of the best from each group. And it's a real privilege to get to work with the folks at the Hall of Fame every day. No doubt. No doubt. It's a magnificent organization. Well, as we continue on your journey, though, I'd like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's perhaps been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tire smoking here on Cars. Yeah. So, George, grab the wheel. Sounds good. I read this uh, in a biography of the French filmmaker Jean Renoir, and he says, there's one awful truth in life. Everybody has his reasons. I love this. And I love the fact that your success quote has changed since we last spoke about three years ago. Do you remember what that was three years ago, by the way? Honestly, I don't. What, what was it? Well, well, I do. I have my, my cheater notes here. So, but because I've talked to a lot of people, it's hard to remember them all. But it was by Carol Shelby, Do What You Love. So uh, you definitely have followed that. But I love the fact that you have this, this new quote. What does that quote mean to you? Well, it means that you really should go with anybody, whether you agree with them or disagree with them or otherwise, and try and understand, you know, why they feel the way they do and why they're doing uh, what they're doing. Because, you know, most people, and in today's America, you can look across a political spectrum. And if you read some of uh, these, you know, websites or or magazines, uh, you know, you think, oh, my God, these... Other people, whichever group you consider yourself part of, are uh, these other people are just insane, crazy, un-American uh, people. But I have friends, and I'm sure you do, across the entire spectrum. And most of us have a lot of the same you know, values. We just look at some things differently. But usually, though, if you understand the motivations, it's like, yeah, they're really not coming from a very different place where I'm coming from. That's yeah. what it means to me anyway. No, I love that. And I wish, yeah, I wish especially social media would practice a little more of that. It reminds me of a a great uh, rule in life I like to go by. First, listen to understand, then speak to be understood, which is one of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly successful people. And, you know, my son, when he was in junior high, came home one night a little upset because some kids in school had gotten into a talk about politics which I'm sure at junior high level, they're just kind of saying what they hear at home from their parents most of the time. And he was frustrated because his parents, us, didn't agree with the other child's parents. And this other child was getting a little vicious in his uh, comments. And I said, listen, Blake, here's the way to deal with this. Ask him why he thinks the way he thinks. Don't tell him your opinion. Don't tell him he's wrong in his opinion. Just ask a lot of good questions and keep asking questions so that you can understand where he's coming from. Exactly what you just said, right? Yeah, that's very cool. Exactly. I wish more people would do that on social media, but (laughs) of course they don't because everyone, as I say, is very brave behind a keyboard. Although sometimes I see what people post and I think, my goodness, person. You have a business. You just ostracize half of your clientele. Exactly. I, that's a part I don't understand at all. It's like regardless of how strong you feel about your personal political beliefs yeah. or whatever, do you really want to alienate half your uh, audience uh, 
And yeah. if you have to, then I guess you have to. But I don't think most of these people take that into consideration. No, they don't take that open checkbook that just got closed because of their comment. <laughs> I think it's because sometimes this politics these days becomes an ideology for people. It's their religion. And boy, they become passionate about it. And we could say the same for religion online. That becomes a passionate subject as well. So, uh, yeah. Well, I like that. I'm going to remember that. And I'll share that with uh, with my son. Uh, who sometimes even works with people where he works that have that same practice. And he told me he was here visiting not too long ago. He said, hey, Dad, I still use that idea that you shared with me in junior high with my coworkers. I don't tell people what I think. I just keep asking them why they think they think that way so I can try to understand them. And he said, sometimes it kind of makes them mad because it's like they want to fight and I don't provide them with the fight. I just am trying to figure out why would you think that way? It's so different than my thinking. Can you help me? And he said, sadly, a lot of times people can't answer that question very well. So uh, I think it's a good thing to do, though. First, listen to understand before you speak (laughs) to be understood. Would you share a story that instigated the passion you have for motorsports? Because obviously, you lean towards motorsports when it comes to cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a race guy? Yeah. uh, When I was a kid, I read four books, not all at the same time, but in a short span of time, because as I read you know, one, then I started to look for other books on, on motorsports. And the four books that I read were Jim Clark at the Wheel, about the great uh, Scottish world champion, Cars at Speed by Robert Daly, The Carol Shelby Story, and a title that most of your listeners probably won't know today. Uh, it was called Vroom, like the engine sound. And it was written by Peter Manso, who is just one of the the best interviewers on the planet, and he interviewed 10 of the top Grand Prix drivers of the late 60s, several of whom were dead by the time the book came out, like, you know, a year later. And uh, it's a, just a fabulous insight into the minds of drivers at a time when they were walking a tightrope high above the ground without a net. Yeah, a scary, scary time. And just amazing to me, these guys would strap themselves into these cars every weekend and go do what they were doing when almost every weekend, if not a serious accident happened where somebody was seriously injured, somebody was killed. Yeah, men and their they're daring young men and their flying machines, if you will. Wow. Well, I want to talk about a big challenge or a big failure, but I want to isolate it here a little bit. I hope I can towards this new book you've written because I really enjoyed this book. I I went through it, and it's full of some wonderful pictures. And one of the things I love about it are all the personalities in the photographs. It's not just cars on the track where you can't, unless you look at the script, you know the car from the period, and you cover a broad period. Uh, It's got a lot of wonderful personalities to it. There's a lot of great information in there. Was there a huge challenge in putting this book together for you? The the biggest challenge was covering, like you said, a very large swath of time. The origins of the book were, in a way, I don't want to say accidental, but coincidental, where, you know, Pete had this wonderful Formula One photography, uh, which basically spanned from about 1960 to the early 80s. He shot some later events in that, but that was basically it. And we were sitting around wondering what to do with these beautiful photographs. And uh, as we got to talking, we're like, well, you know, if you if you stretch those brackets slightly to the late 50s uh, to the early 80s, that's the time when 
the greatest and most visible and visceral change in Formula One happened. So the challenge was, how do you make that story come to life? And, and how do you make that story track across, you know, 30 some years or 25 it, some years? Oh, yeah. I, I'm not sure how you did it. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, we lost Pete not too terribly long ago, but he was a guest on my show. I'm really fortunate that I'm able to have his voice captured forever for people to go back and listen to. Listeners, you can go back and find him. He was guest number 651 on November 29th, 2016. Before I go forward, let me just have you talk a little bit about Pete, because you two worked together so closely for so long. You knew him probably better than anybody, except maybe his wife, uh, of course. And he lost his wife, Was I think it was about a year before he passed. What do you remember most about Pete and the incredible photography that he was able to capture? The thing that, you know, it occurred to me uh, as I got to know him better was many people don't realize that he was a first class magician in, a, in addition to being a terrific photographer, obviously. Um, he uh, played some big bills. He worked on some of the same bills as people like Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld. He was seriously good. He was invited to appear on the, the Tonight Show. You know, I knew about his background in magic pretty early on, and I knew, of course, of him as a photographer. But as I thought about it more, I realized that one of the things that separated him from other photographers was that he brought a magician's mindset to photography. He was constantly trying to figure out ways to do shots that hadn't been done before, and that even other photographers would have a hard time figuring out how he did it. Very cool. I love that. Well, again, I'm very fortunate and honored to have had him be a guest here on Cars. Yeah, the great Pete Byro, wonderful photographer, magician. Talked a little bit about that with him when he was on the show. Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know that about him. I mean, very formidable magic man, if you will. So here's to Pete. How about your first really special car in your life. Is there a vehicle that was really special to you? And what was that? And maybe share a memory you have about that ride. There is. And it was a Datsun 510. This was during the, you know, the height of the, the Trans Am years. And Datsun 510s were battling Alphas on the racetrack. And uh, I was just totally taken with that. I remember when I bought my first car, I would, part of me was torn in the direction of American muscle, and part of me was torn in this new direction of these little sport compacts. And, and really, you know, there were a bunch of us, but, you know, all of us who were taking these 510s and uh, slamming the suspension with the factory competition kit and putting big tires and flares on them and doing whatever we could to try and get a little more horsepower out of these very uh, uh, weak engines uh, of the day. You know, we were really the first uh, sport compact kids, and, and looking back on it, that was kind of a cool thing to be part of. Well, no kidding. And, of course, what comes to mind is uh, Peter Brock. He's been on the show a couple times here in his BRE racing team. And, of course, those 510s that he took out and dominated with, uh, fantastic little cars. I remember a, a girlfriend I had way back first year in college, and her best friend had a 510. And that's the first time, I mean, I knew about the racing back then and so forth, but I was trying to convince her to do all these cool things to it. And she's just looking at me like, look at this car. There's nothing racy about it. I mean, you got the sports car, not me. What What are you talking about? I said, you know how you can make this thing handle? You know what you could do to this? She just kind of looked cross-eyed at me. But 
I always thought it was pretty cool. She let me drive that thing a few times, and I thought, yeah, there's some, there's a platform here. P. Brock is right. He could do some fun stuff. And that was part of the fun of it was that, uh, you know, you had what other people viewed as, you know, just a little, uh, you know, shoebox economy uh, yeah. car, but you could run circles around, you know, 2002s and uh, Alpha GTVs and and other cars like that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure the people they're competing with looked at that and went, how are you doing that? What, what are you doing here? Oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. So how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you wish you had in your life that you've let go in the past? Well, uh, you've already touched on it, which is that, you know, when I was a, a 510 kid and I had a 510, I built it up. And then I saw an article in Motor Trend in 1973 uh, featuring Pete Rock's screaming yellow zonker, uh, <laughs> 510. Some years later, uh, you know, and I was uh, still in grade school or high school then. Some years later, I went to work at Auto Week, and I had remembered somewhere in my dim memory that that car had been offered for sale in the classified section of Auto Week like several years prior. And one night... <laughs> In the middle of the night, I used to work some crazy hours when I started out. I thought, you know what? I'm going to find that car, and I'm going to call that guy. I know the car is sold, but he'll probably know who he sold it to. I tracked down the car. I called the guy who, of course, was uh, surprised that anyone was calling him about this ad three years later. And uh, he referred me to the guy who bought it from him. And and lo and behold, he was fixing to, to sell the thing. And so I got the car, had it for about a year. And then, uh, you know, I was just starting out. I didn't have, you know, much money and storing it and doing uh, the, the proper maintenance on it was going to be a big uh, a challenge. And I sold it after a year and the car is still out there. I know the guy who has it now and he's re- restoring it. Uh, so it's wonderful that it, it still exists. But boy, you talk about buyer's remorse or seller's remorse. I, yeah. I sure uh, wish I had that car again. I'll bet. You ever see uh, Peter Brock's Dotzilla? Sure. You know, Pete and I uh, became friends uh, over the years, and and so I've you know had a, a window to a lot of the the projects that he does, and I you know I almost uh, bought uh, that car. Uh, oh, maybe, really? Maybe I should have, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I love you know Pete's one of the great guys in this business. You know how much he's accomplished and all the different things he's done. Oh, and, yeah. And anything with a Datsun uh, with his name on it, I, I'm, I've got a soft spot for. Yeah, that thing's crazy. When uh, he was living up here in the Pacific Northwest before he moved to Nevada, he loaned me that car for a day, and I used it as a cover car, and we got to crawl all over it and play with it and drive it down the street. And, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. It's just a crazy wild car. So, yeah, for, for those listeners out there, just Google Pete Brock's Datzilla. And uh, you'll see what we're talking about. Really, really wild. Well, I would love for you to talk more about this new book that my listeners can get their hands on. F1 Mavericks, The Men and the Machines That Revolutionized Formula One Racing. It's, it's nearly 250 pages. It's absolutely fantastic. So here's your chance to kind of pitch this book and uh, convince everybody who loves racing that they should have this in their library. You know, one of the things that uh, a lot of people ask about current day motorsports is how did we get here and if you go back to this period in formula one you just see that there is this incredible innovation this incredible passion uh people showing up at the track uh you know week after week with wild new ideas from 
putting the engine in the rear with the Coopers back in the late 50s to fuel injection to turbochargers to uh, carbon fiber chassis. You know, all of this innovation happened, wings, downforce, ground effects, all of this innovation happened in that same 25-year period that's uh, covered uh, in F1 Mavericks and that we refer to as the Maverick era because the sport was much more open then and it attracted real Mavericks who did some amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great, you know, getting Mario Andretti to write the forward. And uh, at the end of the book, some words from Nicky Lauda. Of course, we lost him back in May, uh, another amazing person. For you to get to collaborate with two chieftains of racing, uh, both that race Formula One, that must have been fantastic. Well, it was. And one of the things that's a hallmark of all the projects that I'm involved in is all the books I've been doing so far cover the same general era of motorsports because I happen to love uh, that era from the late 50s uh, through uh, the late 70s. And, you know, a lot of those guys are still around, but we're losing them, you know, every month. And so, you know, I've tried it with each of my books to just interview as many of the men and women uh, who were part of that era and part of those stories. And some of them are the top stars and icons of the sport, like uh, Nikki and Mario, uh, but also, you know, uh, People that were gophers on uh, the teams or working as a PR guy or had some behind the scenes involvement because often those guys have the best uh, stories. So, no doubt. Yeah. Those interviews that, you know, that I've done for each one of the books have been just some of the, you know, the richest and uh, most rewarding experiences of my life. No doubt. That's one of the things I love about podcasting. I've had, well, you're my 1367th guest. Actually, show, because some of my shows involve two, sometimes three people. So I've had a few more guests than that. But I've lost seven of my past, what I call my Cars Yeah alumni over the years. Of course, we mentioned Pete being one. The great Denise McCluggage is another. And most recently, uh, Barry McGuire's daughter, Nicole, passed away at a very young age. And I love the fact that when you interview people, and I'm sure you do too, that you get to save their stories for the future generations, both family, friends, and people who didn't know anything about that era. So uh, I love the fact that we're able to capture those memories. In your case, the words on paper. In my case, uh, their voices uh, for people in the future to listen to. I know you're working on a new book that's coming up about another great, innovative mastermind in racing, Jim Hall. What can you tell us about that book that'll be coming out, I believe, next year from Motorbooks? Yeah, I'm super excited about this uh, project. Uh, Jim Hall has been one of my heroes uh, from, you know, back in the 60s. And I I never met him until I started interviewing him for the Can-Am book uh, two or three years ago. And at one point, I said to Jim, because he was telling me all this stuff that, you know, I never knew before about the Chaparral's, about his career, and just this fascinating information. And I said, well, Jim, are you in the process of writing a book or doing a documentary? Because this stuff has to be uh, captured. And I wasn't pitching anything because I presume that if he was going to do something like that, first, he would have already been starting on it. And second, he would have done it with someone else that, you know, he maybe, you know, had known for years and and had that uh, kind of relationship with. And, you know, he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit and said, you know, he's thought about it. But then 
he kind of dropped the subject and I dropped the subject. And two or three months later, he came back to me and said, you know, I've been thinking about what you said. And I think I should. I think I should go uh, and get this down in a book. And if you want to do it with me, let's do it together. Well, you know, the great thing about asking people is all they can say is no. And, uh, you know, I wish I'd known that in high school. I'd had a lot more dates, as I always say. Uh, wish I just asked more ladies, young ladies out. But that's fantastic. This book will be coming out next year, I believe, in the spring. Is yeah, it yeah, yeah okay. spring, summer. Uh, you know, I'm still finishing uh, writing it. Jim and I have worked on it for several years. And there's so much material there, stories oh, yeah. people have no idea you know, like a lot of, I'll give you one teaser, which is that um, if it wasn't for the Corvair lawsuits uh, that were going on in the early to mid 60s, the whole relationship between Jim and uh, General Motors uh, uh, might never have happened or would have happened in a very different way. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm so glad that you're doing this. Uh, perhaps as that uh, book comes closer to fruition, you can connect me with Jim. We could get him on the show as well. I would love to record his voice. I met him very briefly at Laguna Seca during the historic races years ago when he was uh, one of the featured guys. He would brought a bunch of his cars out. And I remember standing there on the wall. I had pit passes. And I think it was Vic Elford jumped in the uh, the vacuum car, as I call it, and uh, peeled off some laps, and Jim was standing there with a big grin on his face, and I went, man, th if I could get into that guy's head, the things he's done, the things he's seen, and how smart he is from an engineering standpoint, just mastermind. Well, you know, that's one of the points in F1 Mavericks. Like we, In each chapter of F1 Mavericks, we tell the story of Formula One during that particular period, but at the end of each chapter, we include a bio of a different person that uh, you know we singled out as as one of the Mavericks, and one of those people was Jim Hall, who although he drove briefly in Formula One in the early '60s, you know never built a Formula One car, you know was not a you know regular entrant uh, of any kind, but when you look back at what he did, you know just one car, the Chaparral 2E, there were Side-mounted radiators, uh, hub-mounted wings, semi-automatic gearboxes, you know, major uh, downforce, uh, and uh, a carbon, well, not carbon fiber, but a, a composite chassis. All of those things were things that he started in the mid-60s and that eventually migrated to Formula One. But he's the one who brought that stuff. And, it, and some of those things he didn't invent. There were, as you know, Mark... There were wings on cars experimentally going back to the earliest days of the automobile, but no one ever really figured out how to make that stuff work and yeah. how to gain the theoretical advantage. Jim did, and that was you know his great contribution to motorsports. Well, who else would dream up putting? I believe it was was it snowblower uh, suction <laughs> vacuums type the motors on the back of a car that had a box on the back to get it to stick to the track. I mean. My exactly. goodness. Yeah. It's, yeah. And the Chaparral, I mean, cool name also. As I, I was a kid, I remember building Chaparral models and just saying the word Chaparral. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just so cool. So, uh, I look forward to that book as well. I want to remind our listeners, you can get your hands on F1 Mavericks, the book, uh, through the Quarto group, our friends there, www.quartonose, Q-U-A-R-T-O nose.com. That's K-N-O-W-S, not the nose on your face. I'll put links on George's show notes page so you can get your hands on this new book, F1 Mavericks. You're going to want it on your shelf. 
All right, George, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street and track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno-proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made-in-the-USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new AVS2 carburetor and innovative ProFlow 4 EFI for your muscle car or truck. To superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit edelbrock.com to check out the latest products for your ride and when you're ready to check out enter cars yeah in the coupon code and get 10 percent off your order that's edelbrock automotive performance since 1938 you take care of your cars but who takes care of your investments tune-ups aren't just for engines updating your financial plan is important too your gps may take you from a to b but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified. And he's a car guy, too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com. Or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. Okay, George, we're back. And I have a bit of an introspective question for you. If you were a vehicle, what would George be and why? I'll go with a Chaparral 2H. Ooh, uh, cool. Okay. <laughs> I like to think I have a lot of great ideas in, in one package. Not all necessarily working out the way I hope, but you keep plugging away uh, until you get to where you want to be. Absolutely. Well, and the 2H, pretty incredible looking car. I mean, just darn cool, too. So, uh, yeah, I'll say George pretty darn good looking. So, we'll give you that today. How's <laughs> that all right, we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that chaparral throttle. What a nice thought. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Carol Shelby telling me to go do what I love doing. I just wish I had acted on that advice sooner. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes? Go to what inspires you and gives you oxygen. Uh, you know, there's a certain balance I think all of us do through life about, well, you know, I have to make a living and I have to make a certain amount of money, but I also want to do stuff that excites me and interests me. And and I think if you really put your mind to it, a lot of times you can make those one and the same. Absolutely. By the way, speaking of Carol Shelby, I'll remind my listeners, just a couple of days ago, I had Carol's grandson, Aaron Shelby, as a guest here on Cars Yeah. So you can listen to that show if you missed it. Listen to some of uh, his family, Carol Shelby's family members there, or a family member and his uh, thoughts on uh, his granddad, Carol Shelby. 
Wow. Can you imagine having a grandfather that was Carol Shelby? That must have been something. (laughs) Right. Cool. How about a personal habit of yours you believe has contributed to your successes over the years? Well, I think uh, we just talked about it, which is, uh, you know, go to what inspires you and gives you oxygen. I got so excited thinking about Carol Shelby. I lost where I was here. So, (laughs) How about a great resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you find really appealing? That would be MSHF.com, the Motorsports Hall of Fame website, where you can learn about 250 of the greatest legends uh, who have been inducted into our Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. Great place to go. Sit down with a nice drink. You're going to be there a while, I guarantee you. And speaking of a nice drink, if you could sit down with anyone and have a drink that is in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? You know, I've had the good fortune of being able to interview so many greats, but it would be a toss-up between Jim Clark and Frank Lockhart. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we'll put them both at the table. I think that would be a a nice (laughs) one to do. Most definitely. Now, how about a book? I know your new book, F1 Mavericks, The Men and Machines That Revolutionized Formula One uh, Racing. Of course, your Can-Am book that we talked about last time you're on here. We'll put that on your list. But is there another book you'd like to share with our listeners? Maybe one you didn't write, but somebody else penned? Yeah. One book that was really pivotal for me was that one I mentioned earlier, Vroom by Peter Manso. It's a book not many of your listeners would have read. It didn't have a, a huge circulation when it came out. But if you want to dive back into what it was like to be uh, a driver in the late 60s and some of the you know the greatest of the greats, there's Sterling Moss is in there, Jackie Hicks, who's just been inducted into our Hall of Fame this year, Pedro Rodriguez, Dan Gurney. I mean, it's, it's just a great book for any gearhead. Absolutely. I'll remind my listeners here, you can find all these great resources on George's show notes page. You can also go back and listen to his first show with me. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in George Levy, L-E-V-Y, and both those shows will pop up. You can enjoy everything on both those show notes pages. All right, George, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy, but it's a fun thought. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet, but there are some rules that might make this a little bit of a challenge. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. It's the only collector car you can have. And you have to drive it. I don't want you to have any kind of garage queen sitting around collecting dust. What will it be? Alonso Stratos, hands down. Ooh, nice car. Yeah. Now, very interesting choice because of how I know you and racing. And of course, Alonso Stratos, uh, Group B race cars and rally cars and so forth. What is it about that car you like so much? Uh, you know, the Stratos, if you've ever seen one, uh, the front and rear clips come off and what you're left with is four wheels, two seats, and a little Ferrari uh, V6 tucked, tucked up into the small of your back. Yeah. <laughs> it is just the most intuitive, visceral, uh, exciting car that I've ever driven. And years later, uh, I saw a, some sort of piece like the, the top 100 supercars uh, that uh, the guys from Top Gear had ever uh, driven. And at the end of it, they gave each of their top choice of, you know, for a a supercar that they had driven. And this included things long after I had driven the Stratos, F40s and McLarens and uh, Bugattis and you name it. And uh, I was uh, kind of uh, rewarded to see that Jeremy Clarkson also picked the Lancia Stratos as his favorite uh, supercar of all time. Well, that's saying something. You know what's really cool about that car? I don't know if you've ever seen 
a photograph from directly overhead, but it's a perfect rectangle. Exactly, exactly. Which is kind of crazy. I mean, you wouldn't think of it because most people don't see a car from the top. But when you do, yeah, it's basically a rectangle. It's just very squared off, very cool. But I do love it when the front and rear clips are gone. Yeah, because there's not much left. It's just this little package sitting in there. Beautiful car. Would you like a racing version or a street version of that car? A street version, uh, partly for the rules you mentioned, but also I would rather have a street version than a race version because there are, are lots of good race cars. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a Lancia Strato street car, even on the street, I remember spending an afternoon driving around all these switchbacks in California and having a blast. And I don't remember ever turning the wheel more than about a quarter of an inch. I mean, it was just a car that you could completely drive on your instincts alone. Well, that's pretty cool that you've had a, a chance to drive one of those. John Campion, who has been a guest here on the show, has an amazing collection of uh, old rally cars, including Lancia Strato. So uh, maybe I can call him up and get him to peel one of his cars away. Although his are all race cars, so I might have to go find you a street car somewhere, but that's okay. I think that'd be pretty darn cool. They're wonderful. Nice choice, my friend. Well, George, like last time, you've taken me on a great ride. I knew this would be fun. Really enjoyed reconnecting with you and talking to you again. Congratulations on the new book. Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Everybody should have a copy of this. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. And I want to thank our friends at Quarto Group, QuartoKnows.com. You can go there and get your hands on a copy. I'll put a link on George's show notes page. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom and or guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that beautiful Lancia Stratos. Sure. Make a list of the things that you want to do right now, this minute, and then figure out how to make them happen. Absolutely. Because life is fleeting. Life is short. Don't wait for tomorrow. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and all the things you do? Uh, you know, they can find me on Facebook, Um there's also an F1 Mavericks and Can-Am 50th anniversary of, you know, websites, probably on, on Facebook. And if they want to reach out to me, they can reach out to glevy at mshf.com. All right. I'll make sure I put links to that on your show notes page so people can follow you. Again, get your hands on this new book by our friends at Quarto Group, F1 Mavericks, The Men and Machines That Revolutionize Formula One Racing. Absolutely fantastic book. George, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me. So good to talk to you again. I want to thank you. Until you and I talk again, though, I'll see you probably the next book with Jim Hall down the road. That sounds good. And congratulations again on, on both your podcast and the TV show. That's fantastic. I well, look forward you. to seeing many more. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Take care. Take care. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. 
Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!